0: Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. And I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Toshi. Hi. Third year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, Aaron. Hey, everybody. And joining us again is fourth year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Joshua Poole. Hey, Joshua. Hey,
1: Anthony, Dr.
0: Park. Thanks for joining us again. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, on this episode, we're going to talk about the tension between paternalism and uh, just a patient autonomy and patient choice and how, how we navigate and how we negotiate those things when we can spot it. And I just kind of throw it out to you. Uh, when do you notice this the most, this this tension between being too paternalistic within your work with clients and uh, wanting to give them choice or maybe withholding choice? Again, paternalism, the way I kind of look at paternalism, there's some sort of constraint on patient autonomy uh, because it's for their benefit. You believe it's for their benefit to not allow or present these choices now. The obvious example would be if you feel that they're going to hurt themselves or hurt somebody else, then we can, um, uh, you know, have them go, uh, go to a inpatient psychiatric facility so that they they can remain safe or another person could remain safe. Now, yeah. um, but I, I would just kind of throw it out there. When do you notice this tension the
2: most, and it's difficult sometimes to negotiate? I think I think Aaron. I think there's two things that we're dealing with here, and one of them is systemic paternalism where we're the arm of the state and we don't necessarily have a choice in the matter. It's just what our job legally or sort of by the rules of our profession is to do. So like holds and um, hospitalization rules and things like that, conservatorship where it's just kind of like the standard of the field. There's some room for clinical judgment. And then there's kind of the, the therapy Vers- or, or um, psychiatry style paternalism where we are asking ourselves questions within our individual practice of am I pushing my ideas onto this person am I tolerating their differences or even accepting and embracing their differences from my treatment path for them or am I bulldozing them and do you uh, does that come
0: up a lot or a little bit or can you give me an example of well i'll say the times for
3: me like the times i i generally err on the side of you know giving patients their options giving them um like what i think would be probably best in that situation but the times when i feel the most compelled to really push hard on a specific option is when my patient uh, has is psychotic then I really want to push for treating that with medications um, and not waiting to see if therapy works at, at for like three months waiting three months to see if therapy works because um, in my mind I'm thinking about the biological processes going on of um, and the studies that show that, you know, the, the longer someone is in a psychotic break, the harder it is to treat um, and the worse it is for their brain. Um, so that's, yeah, go ahead, Alan.
2: Yeah. I, was, I think that's, that's a good point that in some of these areas, it's, it's about time Um, I think you, you kind of hit on the the intersection of two things for me. One is like that time thing. And, you know, it's the same with kindling and bipolar. And I've heard some people saying it about borderline as well, that if you stay in this chaotic episodes Mm -hmm. for a long time that that can do damage. And I'm, I'm not so sure about that one. I haven't seen the evidence and I'm a little suspect of it. Um, I don't think we know that much about kind of how the amygdala is doing things in, in borderline. And, and I would be scared to use that as a, especially when the meds like, don't, we don't really have much evidence of efficacy, I'd be scared of using that to push meds on someone in borderline. But um, for the other ones, there does seem to be this continuum of like the, the implication, I think, at the hiding behind some of this is the more I trust you, the less um, paternalistic I will be. And the less I trust you, the more paternalistic I will be. And then there might be like even another axis intersecting with that axis of like, um, how much do you have capacity, right? So you could be, I could not trust you, but it could be because you just have really, really different ideas from me, but you're able to fully make decisions. You're conscious, you're alert, you're oriented, you're fine. And then there's um, maybe someone who normally would have really good judgment, but they are limited um, maybe by whatever, by let's say that they, they are limited by a new, injury that gave them some acquired intellectual, um, disability or, or something like that. You know, uh, Joshua, I,
0: I kind of want to kind of reel you in, in this kind of debate, because, you know, when I think of paternalism, I do kind of think of uh, this expert kind of the, 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 the clinician as the expert, and they're going to comment on your life and recommend the things that you should, the ways that you should be living. And, you know, psychoanalysis I, this is my bias that the psychoanalyst and you can correct me, please, please do, please do. is kind of sits back and kind of listens to all this data and all these things that people say, and then presents to them an interpretation and a recommendation of how they should live
1: their lives. Yeah.
0: This, you're going cool. to tear into this one. And yeah, that, that sounds, one. that feels very paternalistic.
1: I, I know that you can, you can see me, but maybe the listeners could feel my hackles kind of go up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I mean, I won't speak for the field of psychoanalysis as a whole, but it has been my experience that it, you, you're, not, you're not doing a, a really great job at psychoanalysis if you're, like, telling people how to live. Right. You know, there's a – now, there is, obviously, you know, space for oper- offering interpretations, but I think the only way that they work is if you, you're, like, attuned to the patient and you're, you're listening to them and then you're, you spend a lot of time – listening getting a lot of information thinking about it and then sharing it and if they tell you that doesn't work then you have to adjust then you say oh okay let's think about it a different way that sort of flexibility i think is very anti-paternalistic and um i mean we were talking brief. oh wait, what's that alan
2: oh i didn't mean to i was just waiting in line okay well now now you gave me the 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 mic yeah, so definitely. um Okay, Joshua has said in the past, and you said it last episode too, about humility and uncertainty being these guiding principles of psychoanalysis. I love that when you first told it to me. I wrote it in my my like um, oh, notebook. It's I think it's beautiful, and it, it has in some ways won me over it towards psychoanalytic thinking.
3: Wait, say that again, Alan? What was I it? I think
2: psychoanalysis um, uh, it, about that that basically Joshua's guiding principles for or the two words that he uses to kind of describe why he loves um psychoanalysis are um uncertainty and humility or humility and uncertainty now i think with paternalism there's to shira volmer but go ahead you want to jump in no i was just giving credit where i got that from but go ahead. oh i and i i steamrolled you so i don't think anyone got to hear it so do that
1: uh uh, shira volmer was one of our professors she said that i was like blew my brain wide open and i haven't been the same since
2: (laughs) cool i mean for me it sounds a lot like what i love about buddhism Um, and, 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 that's another way that it wins me over. I think in in internalism, there is the underlying assumption of arrogance and, um, that is diametrically opposed to what you're saying of humility, right? They've been getting some psychoanalytic training this year. Um, and I've taken a particular interest, so you can count that as a victory, Joshua. Uh, and what I have noticed in like my Gabbard book and a few of my psychoanalytic books is is there's a quieter arrogance that bothers me. Now there is also a lot of humility and I like that. And I do think that you guys are doing a pretty good job refraining from giving life recommendations, which I can hardly say that, right? I'm like growing a lot from being over prescriptive about trying to get patients to do meditation. And then I get slapped in the face because I realize meditation is really, really hard and no one ever does it. And (laughs) I've kind of given up on, or I need to figure out how to do that more in a motivational (laughs) interviewing. But like uh, the idea that, even if you're not saying it, right, you're sitting there and you're, you're thinking about the psychoanalytic frameworks and you're kind of planning their treatment course in your head a lot and you're making all these decisions for them about what you're going to ask about next and when you can maybe confront or when that might be too, there, there's like that hierarchy of when that might be too um, sort of like, what is it like the cost approach where it's like something, then object, then oh man, I'm going to get this wrong. But like, you're making all these decisions about how deep to go and how much the patient can handle and the lack of transparency there. While maybe it's founded, it feels very paternalistic to me and feels like the the fact that you're not letting me see what's under the hood of my own therapy, and that I'm not really an active participant in it. That's paternalistic. No.
1: Oh, I very much disagree. Because it, I think there's an assumption sort of nestled in there that, one, I'm planning how any of this is going to go. And that, two, I'm hiding it. It's, it's more like I let them kind of take the lead of where they go and we both uncover it. And then we try to make meaning of it in real time. Hmm. And I just happen to have heuristics at you know my, my Batman tool belt of heuristics that then I say, this sounds like this. Or I've noticed this pattern. How does this fit? And then they tell me that doesn't fit doc, you're way off. And I go, okay, let's try again. Or now that does kind of fit. And then we use it as a heuristic, uh, like a, a meaning making device. So I, I think I resist the paternalism in that, it, that being labeled as paternalistic in that sense because I'm not acting. And then I think this is also another part of the thing that I, I was hoping we could talk about was like just the very nature of what we mean by paternalism. And I think a little bit before the episode we were talking about like, would that be you know if we stay within a, a gendered binary construct as opposed to maternalism and what is what would that look like because i think what we're really responding to is power differentials in in the space that we're with a patient right and paternalism i think is the term we came to because men dominated the field for a very long time but if you think about like what's antithetical to paternalism which is dad telling me what to do what's maternalism or even if we move away from a gender binary, like what's the opposite? Is that autonomy? Is that allowing the patient to do what they do, you know, without any, without any say? And I would say that therapy is sort of the antithesis if it's done in that way. Therapy with the end goal of trying to control somebody is not therapy, in my opinion. I think in order for it to be therapeutic, it must serve the patient first and foremost which is anti-paternalistic. End of speech. I'll step off the pulpit now, sorry. Well, I you think didn't. There can, Go
3: sorry, for it, I was sorry. gonna say, I think that in the service of beneficence, you can approach that from a paternalistic uh, style.
1: Say more, what, what do you mean? But
3: I hear you, I, I, I mean like, um, so when we're talking about beneficence of like, you know, doing what you think is Good, in the good of the patient right um i think that that can lend itself to paternalism very easily
2: right. well and we we have to watch out for paternalism is in some ways um i think seen by many people in medicine as necessary in the face of uh Misinform confident misinformation by WebMD and non-providers and Googling and all the other places are getting like, what happens when you become so, um, open, open open-ended that you're out competed by, you know, Dr. X or Y of, of X or Y type of naturopathic medicine on YouTube, who's suggesting, and this is, I'm, I'm, I'm obscuring it, but this is a real video. I, have seen brought up by several patients that like, you know, you you can cure a lot of mental illness through a lot of in- kale intake for your spleen. Right. And that's like, that's what we're competing with. If we're not at some point, like I saw some, I think it was an OBGYN that had a sign that says like uh, my medical degree is not the same as you're Googling or something like that. Huh? <laughs> yeah.
3: I, I want to bring it back to what Joshua was talking about though because I want to explore that more. I think it's a really interesting point of like what would maternalism look like in medicine? Um, and if we talk about psychoanalysis, like historically the idea of Freud treating um, many women, right? Um, it, it has like a basis of already having that uh, hierarchy in place from the get-go
2: and Joshua said this really cool thing on the maternalism that I'm hoping you'll say again about love do you want to tell us what you told us which which part now I'm about just how I don't know I' I'll, I'll, I'll take what I got from what you said sure. and then maybe you can elaborate because I don't want to put words in your mouth but the idea that a lot of what we call a lot of what we isolate as the, the really therapeutic parts of a therapeutic alliance. Um, a lot of the things at the stem of the why with the two psychotherapy models are unconditional, positive regard, non-judgment, things that might just be called love. Um, and I don't know if I, like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's kind of what I, what I took away from some of the things you told us earlier. And that seems So genuine and fun and real to me, I would just love to be a part of a um, psychiatric profession that could admit that like the goal is to give your patients love and not be freaked out by that and not see it as a boundary violation and not think that it means that we're, you know, trying to get, get unprofessional, just love can, can be what we're aiming for. Go ahead, Tosha. Yeah.
3: Well, I was also (laughs) I was also going to talk about something you said about how um, therapy is very much a holding space that mimics the relationship between child and mother. I I do want to get back to that, like what would maternalism look like in medicine? I want to get back to that.
1: So I do want to say, I got to give credit to Peter Shorts, a friend and mentor of mine who said when we were talking about unconditional positive regard, and he was like, that's just love, right? I mean, why do we have to dress it up in this scientific language? And it's like, because that's the Western model. So I do want to give credit there. But yeah, I know the thing that we were talking about with, you know, if we have to stay in a gendered binary of like power structures and putting those labels on them, okay, let's be curious about what it is, what does it mean to be paternal? And then how do you be anti-paternal? would that be maternal? I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's- Or would
2: that be like some kind of psychedelic free-spirited autonomy that doesn't even, like you said, that's not gender binary.
1: Um, Yeah, well, uh, actually, Aaron, did you want to
3: take-
2: I just want to do a mid-show break. If you're just joining
0: us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. And we're talking about the tension between paternalism and autonomy. Also want to just kind of do a shout out for Dr. L.A. Drews for consultation for this episode. Okay, go ahead, Joshua.
3: Well, I wonder if the opposite of paternalism on the extreme side would be extreme patient autonomy, which in something that I was reading in a discussion of respect for patient autonomy versus beneficence, um, in an eating disorder textbook, it was talking about, you know, on one side to the extreme of patient autonomy is offering the treatment options up to the patient as a cafeteria style menu where you don't offer any suggestions. It's just laid out without any recommendations or guidance. And they kind of pick like that. And and the argument that they were making was that that's not beneficial to the patient.
1: Yeah. I think so. I think you told you. I love that because you touched on like a really important thing here, which is I'll start with it. Have you heard that joke that goes, um, "My friend thinks the opposite of fire is water. I think the opposite of fire is no fire." You know, Mm. it's like, what is the joke? Huh? The joke joke. was, I don't know. it, It was who was saying it, and it was like a weird, absurdist. It doesn't matter. Okay. okay. Have you heard that observation? That's- <laughs>
2: there you go. There you go. I'm much happier now. Thank you,
1: God, for that. <laughs> Have you heard that thing that you obviously haven't heard of that I'm going to say at you right now? And it's when, how do we think yeah. about things that are diametrically opposed or like in a dialectic with one another? And I think this is really important for paternalism because if you say, well, if the opposite is maternalism, what does that look like? And the yeah. is no paternalism, which uh-huh. I think is, speaks to your point, Tosha, which is y- there's no power differential, and then it's like sort of a libertarian style, like you have you just give all of the info, and then people do a completely free will thing. But I would say that if we stay with it for a little bit longer and say, okay, psychiatry has a lot of paternalism because we, you know, they try to force meds on people and da 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 da. Psychiatry might also be the only place in medicine where there is medical maternalism provided through therapy, because in therapy, you know, in the classical kind of therapy model, you're trying to recreate in some ways the environment between primary caregiver, most often mother and infant, in order to try to, you know, effectively attune, maybe shore up, um, um, defenses are like make, make people feel better, you know, meet mar- narcissistic needs, things like that. So that is a very, m- you know, maternal style of things. So I, I don't know what to do with that, but I didn't want to lose the thought. Sorry.
3: This conversation is making me think of the discussion around calling patients, clients versus patients. Have you guys talked about that?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, the that, that was, that was, you know, when I, when I became a doctor from a therapist, all of a sudden all my clients changed into patients.
3: Patients. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so my understanding of clients terming calling patients clients um, is mostly from a therapy model. And uh, it, so it's mostly therapists who I hear calling patients clients. And I think uh, you'll have to correct me, Aaron, but I think it has to do with like trying to give them that autonomy. And then the, patient side of things is it's supposed to reflect that these individuals are in a place of suffering and we're here to help them what what do you guys think about that
1: i think the etymology of it is like one who's waiting one who's in waiting
3: Mm.
1: and that presents sort of that has the power dynamic within it right but i'm curious aaron you you probably use the term clients right
0: yeah and it's it's just along what Tosha is saying is that it ge- it, it makes it less of a expert uh, and a, a teacher learner kind of thing. It's more of a collaborative relationship and the person is empowered. Uh, but and, and you know it's possible that be- just in the profession that you're in, there's more, Clear definitions of, of right ways to go and wrong ways to go, because you're uh, the, the the jumping off point is a physical substance, whereas in psychology, uh, sometimes things are a little bit fuzzy, and we're not so sure sometimes. So uh, we, maybe we have even more of a luxury to get
2: allow and and just present people with choice. Yeah. When we talk about paternal versus maternal with this stuff, and it's fun that we're placing a lot of value on the maternal side. And I feel kind of proud to be in maybe the one field in medicine that is doing that makes me think of a recent conversation I had about how basically U S politics, party politics seems to be sort of a referendum on masculinity and and how we feel that um, like how, how we feel a man should look like versus how, and and, um, like the Democrats being perceived as this party of uh, nurturing weak, women and women loving folks. And then the Republicans are, um, you know, are masculine and drive trucks and stand up for, for what they want and don't get stepped on. And I don't know. Yeah. I, I, my undergrad's thesis and studies were on hyper-masculinity and toxic masculinity. And, and I'm finding that to be like an interesting thing here. Um, I'm curious how that what do y'all see with that?
0: Well, I'm thinking that you know the people that are probably the most paternalistic in therapy uh, p- possibly resemble folks that are very um, uh, th- more on the authoritarian side, um, uh, you know, clear defined roles, um, uh, you know, uh, preferring order and at you know, and that that is there in right wing politics. So, but I don't want to, I feel that that's another show though.
3: When you think, when therapists when therapists think about the spectrum of all the different types of therapies and they're rating them on a scale of autonomous versus paternalism, what stereotypically oh. lies on the more paternalistic?
0: Oh, can I get it? Can I get in on this one? So, okay. So I would say, like I said at the top, that psychoanalysis would be on the more paternalistic side. Historically speaking, uh, <laughs> of the way the work is perceived to be which is uh interpretations given by an expert um now i say that the most collaborative i would ha- would have to be client-centered approaches you know carl rogers where you don't come you don't ha- say like i know where to go you-, you just kind of have this non-directed kind of exploration the 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 answers are inside of, of you and we just we-, we just need to kind of flesh them out and by having a warm empathic you know, trusting relationship when we kind of explore things. And I, yeah, and I, you know, and I, you know, when I kind of think of this, um, I think of like how much advice giving is there. I think when I think of like people that are on the more paternalistic side, they're, if they're, uh, I see, I think with people that are just very quick about giving advice. I am, I see that that's probably one of the number one things I see with uh, beginning psychologists and people that are not licensed is they tend to give they're very client centered. Yeah, they they've got that down. Training has worked, but they're they give a lot of advice. They know well have you know like you're saying earlier, Alan. You know, have you tried this and have you tried that and have you tried this other thing? And I you know I've actually done a little bit of study of that. Um, you know, there's a study uh, by um, Prass and Hill and Kavilgan in uh, Counseling Psychology Quarterly. About solicited and unsolicited advice, and the people that give advice the most, and uh, you know, it found that the people that gave a lot of advice, collaboration did decline in the ne- in the succeeding session. So, I don't think it pays to be very paternalistic and um, giving a bunch of advice because I think that reduces the collaboration and the the therapeutic alliance and the uh, you know people following through on your treatment interventions, like you're saying earlier, Alan. What are what are people's thoughts though?
2: I like that. I mean, Carl Rogers is like a, a, definitely a hero to me. I liked his authenticity. I think psychoanalysis has somewhat grown from, I don't know if this is something that came independently from Rogers or, or was absorbing some of Rogers stuff, but it seems like psycho, like the the types of psychoanalysis that I've heard from Joshua and that I I'm into these days have kind of grown from adopting some of that Rogerian kind of being human and defaulting to being human being authentic I guess my question for Josh would be you know do you have your own rather than like us entering banter mode do you, do you have your own criticisms of paternalism in um psychoanalysis and and have you found the technology to solve them with or do they yeah how, how, do, how is that or are you not finding it to be paternalistic at all
1: I'm I'm really not finding a lot of it. I mean, I think that it, I think for a very long time, the field of psychoanalysis had a lot of paternalism, but it was also because, you know, it came about in the last cent, the first part of the last century in an intensely paternalistic Western medical model. And, you know, there was a lot of idio- idiosyncrasies and hierarchies um, at like a structural level that reinforced that type of thing. But I think it's no accident that like, um, more humanistic psychologies came about during a sort of an awakening period in American history, you know, in the 60s and 70s, where people were starting to say, why don't we not do it this way? And then right. psychotherapy seemed to follow. And then now, because of we've started to, you know, address and be very circumspect, circumspect about hierarchies of power, that it shows up in how we do therapy. And I think... Therapy is definitely one thing. I think in psychiatry in general, there's still, you know, with, with people who are increasingly less organized or like on a psychotic level of some sort, paternalism tends to take over again, or when it interfaces with like the criminal side of things, like uh, someone who is incompetent to stand trial and stuff like that, that can get really paternalistic. I'm not drawn to that. I, I, I bristle at power structure, power structures, so I think that's why I'm in analysis, but were I someone who was more patriarchal or paternalistic, I think I would be drawn to the other parts of psychiatry. I don't know if that's an answer to the question. Uh,
0: can I, before we, we're kind of running out of time, but can I um, ask something of the group? Uh, for, you know, I read an article about, uh, is it, it's a 2016 article by and Gross about paternalism, and it was one of the points they made is that uh, we don't inform, it's very paternalistic to not inform clients of how therapy works like we don't really do that. Like we know that. Okay, this is my impression of the literature based on meta-analyses. About fifteen percent of the effectiveness of psychotherapy has to do with the particular method. M- most of the uh, the changes, the change agents, are things like uh, you know we talked about Carl Rogers earlier. These these Carl Rogers type client centered uh, facilitative conditions. You know, positive unconditional positive regard, warmth, genuineness, you know, congruency, and are, are we being paternalistic by not telling people that, like, uh, you know, saying like, "Yo, well, really, your change is going to happen because I'm, I'm I'm having this close, warm relationship with you," and doesn't really have any
2: doesn't have that much to do with? The I approach. think that's an incredibly insightful. Yeah, point.
1: you gotta you gotta tell them.
2: Yeah, and, but they and, don't and need you go first.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for commenting, and that's all the uh, time we have for this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today we talked about paternalism, the tension between that and patient autonomy or client autonomy. And we thank you to our co-hosts, Drs. Toshi Yamaguchi, Alan Atkins, and Joshua Poole. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com, and you can also listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. If you like tonight's show, please follow us, post a review. We read them, and we appreciate them. Thank you very much. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. I've been your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.